According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6. And uh, last week, we uh, wrapped up the last of 12 through 15, I believe, looking at Belial the worthless person, the wicked man, from verse 12. The worthless person and the wicked man, the Belial. Belial Adam, as uh, we were calling him, or Adam Belial, I guess. Give him Adam as a first name, Belial as a last name. Adam Belial Ish Awen, the strife spreader. And now, um, and as an expansion from that, we're going to move on into our hatred lessons in verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. And so I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer and then uh, we'll take the time to make sure that we understand the progression of this chapter and we don't lose the forest through the trees. Um, I, want to, I want us to see that progression because verses 1 through 11 led us to verses 12 through 15. And verses 12 through 15 lead us to verses 16 through 19. And there is a cohesion in this chapter that we don't want to lose sight of. So let's open a word of prayer and then we'll uh, proceed to our study. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together this morning. Thank you for safety, getting us here this morning, Father, and uh, just call upon your faithfulness now to set aside distractions, to open the eyes of our understanding, and I thank you, Father, in Christ Jesus' name, amen. All right, I actually got rear-ended on the drive here this morning, so there was no damage visible to uh, the rear bumper or... uh, myself. <laughs> but uh, anyway, unfortunately, I told Dan, I said, sadly, it was not a fatality accident. So I have to uh, stay here and preach. Couldn't, couldn't go to heaven this morning. All right. There is a progression in this chapter. And you'll notice um, as we worked our way through uh, in 6 through 11, go to the Anto Slugger to observe her ways and be wise. And we went through the lessons there related to being a slug or a sluggard. Uh, related to the uh, uh, damage that you end up doing, the consequences that you end up doing, including poverty and need. Uh, They come in like a vagabond, like an armed man. And uh, we discussed the vagabonds in a very politically incorrect fashion. You know, the the vagrants and the hobos and bums that you see on the street all the time. Um, The world would tell you one thing related to those folks. The Bible tells you something else related to the divine discipline consequences for being a sluggard when God commands you to work and uh, the issues involved there. Now, in that progression, as we see the vagabond and the armed man, this then leads us into the Belial from uh, verses 12 and following. And we observe that he uses his whole body, the the worthless man, the wicked man, uh, the one who walks with a perverse mouth, so there's his mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers. And so you have these body parts that are mentioned in verses 12 and 13. Remember that? All right, we're gonna, that's going to come back again, because when we start to delineate the things which God hates, the first five of them include body parts, uh, the uh, eyes and the tongue and the hands and the heart and the feet, okay? And so we, f- we find that these are the, the, the links between these passages as we observe the cohesion in this entire chapter. 
And as again, as we were going back now to the Belial in 12 through 15, um, he says one thing, but it's all a lie. He's indicating uh, with his uh, winking and with his uh, finger signals and his pointing and, and so forth that what he's saying is different from what's in his heart. And it's all a trap. And he's including others in his conspiracy to, to spring that trap related to um, the different things there. All right? So who, verse 14 says, "...who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife." And the spreading of strife is kind of the, the pinnacle of where this Belial is going. That's the ultimate objective of what he is doing. The heart is continually devising evil, but the, the end result then is the spreading of strife. And it's that strife, we call him the strife spreader in the, uh, in the point of study. If you're keeping the outline, this is main point three. As a follow-up to the admonishment against the sluggard, David warns Solomon against Adam Belial, Ish-Awen, the strife spreader. And it's about the, the spreading of strife as we were looking at it in those, in those verses. Well, that same theme now is what we get to in the, uh, the seven things that God hates. The six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to Him. And look down and see what the pinnacle is in verse 19. It's the same strife that we had in, uh, in verse 14. All right, And so you see that what we have here is a progression, but with, it, with a consistency here throughout the chapter. All right, so we're dealing with strife, and that's uh, the, the ultimate of, uh, of what God hates, is the uh, one who spreads strife among the brothers. All six of these things are pointing to thing number seven. The, the purpose for this formula is to highlight the ultimate, which is item number seven in this list, and, uh, and that will become clear as we work our way through as well. All right, so we had the subpoints under main point three, under subpoint A, we looked at the vocabulary for Belial. Under subpoint B, we highlighted the inconsistency between what he is saying on the one hand with his uh, winking and foot tapping and finger motions on the other hand, communicating his perverse heart's intention. Point C, the vocabulary for perversity, and has some fun with uh, tapuka and uh, the different aspects there. So many of these things are, are not allowed anymore, okay? Our culture says, oh, no, 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 you can't say that. Oh, no, 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 who are you? Oh, don't be so judgmental. How dare you call something perverted? All right, well, the Bible does. And so we're going to be faithful to the text. And if the Bible calls it a perversion, if God calls it a perversion, well, then it is a perversion. And uh, we, we ought to be uh, at least uh, oriented to what the text says. And so Tapuka with 10 Old Testament uses is uh, where we spent our time last week. Strife is the antithesis of love between brothers. And uh, when you note that uh, we should be seeking for the things that make for peace among one another, we should be striving for those things. That's what love does. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love promotes the things that make for peace among brothers. Um, the antithesis or the, the, the opposite of, of love is not hate. The opposite of love is strife, all right? Because love is what generates the, the cohesion or the, the peace between brothers. Strife drives that apart. And so Madon and Madon kind of had some fun with that also last week, looking at the vocabulary there for strife and uh, working our way through. Look, at, they're all Proverbs references there uh, in Madon and Madon when you do the word studies related to strife. All right. All that's last week, and if you want more on that, uh, MP3 is sitting there on the website. You can 
Go get it at any time. We move on now this morning to main point four. Yahweh hates the abominations of his soul. Yahweh hates the abominations of his soul. And uh, I'll define these terms for you here in a moment, but this is just simply the main heading for the, for the paragraph. So main point four in the outline, Yahweh hates the abominations of his soul. And that's literally what we have here in the text. Now, the, the abominations of his soul, we want to understand the use of of there. Uh, they're not, uh, his soul does not consist of abominations, but there are things that he observes that are in themselves abominations to his soul. Maybe to would be a better preposition than of, and that might cause you to relax a little bit more. But in any event, the abominations of his soul is what we say here in verse 16. Seven which are an abomination I realize the New American Standard, it says an abomination to him, an abomination to him, all right? Literally, it's of his soul. It's nafsho, of, of his nefesh, all right? The abominations, the totneva, of his soul. And so to the very core of his being, uh, these things are abominations, and he wants nothing to do with them. An abomination is something that he drives far from himself, and we'll discuss that as well, because like uh, like with uh, perversion, abomination is another subject that is not politically correct. It is not acceptable in our culture to discuss anything as an abomination that's viewed as being judgmental and hateful and wrong. Well, it is hateful because it's an abomination, and that's biblical. And we're going to be seeing the parallel between hate and abomination. This very passage right here is one that presents these things in appropriate parallelism. He hates them because they are an abomination to his soul. That's why he hates them. And if he was not to hate them, uh, he would be wrong. We would be wrong if we have attitudes that are different from the attitudes that God himself has. We want to make sure we're clear on that. All right? This is the only thing, I know it looks like sane. <laughs> it's not sane. It's sane, S-A-N-E with an apostrophe. Sane. And that apostrophe, uh, of course, is significant. You curve it one direction for the Aleph. You curve it the other direction for the Ayan. In this case, uh, the word ends with the Aleph, and so we're curving the apostrophe to the right there. Sane, S-A-N-E. It's the long E with the bar over it. Sane. And then close your throat to end the word. Okay, don't just leave it as an open throat. Uh, it's like uh, when you the H in the in the word honest. You start with a closed throat when you say honest, right? Don't we all do that? Honest, okay? And that's what we do with sane. We got to close the throat at the end of sane so that we have, uh, approximate the uh, the olive in the uh, in the Hebrew alphabet. All right, sane. If you uh, use the Strong's Concordance numbers for your word studies, it's number 8130. And you're going to spend some time with this because there are 146 uses of the verb. And uh, more than that, related to the noun. We've got other expressions as well that connect to sane that uh, should be understood if you do a comprehensive word study on the issue. We're not going to do a comprehensive study, but we're going to give you a significant uh, spectrum whereby you're going to see the uses of sane where Yahweh himself is the subject of the verb where Yahweh himself is the one who does the hating, all right? And so we want to be clear on that because I think this is part of the, the, uh, the misconception that fills our culture. This is a part of the lie of Satan and the conformity to the age that we have to guard against uh, by being renewed uh, in, the, uh, in the teaching of the Word of God. All right. 
So, six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. And we can read through the list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. And we're going to have to, we'll go item by item through this in the coming classes, um, and we'll observe in some cases, um, is it really the body parts that uh, that God hates, or is it the uh, is it the behavior then that the person is involved with in those activities? Uh, many, most of these are attitudinal. All right, most of these are attitudinal. That should grab our attention real quickly. But clearly, the final two, as we deal with a false witness, more than what he is doing, it's he himself. It is not the lies being spoken. We already had lies earlier, a lying tongue earlier, but it gets repeated now uh, in the false witness who utters lies in verse 19. And it's the person, not the sin. Likewise, one who spreads strife among brothers. It is the strife spreader himself, personally, that is the object of the sana hatred in, uh, in this text. Okay, And so some of these observations we're going to make and then it it opens the question up to then, well, what? wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to uh, hate the sin but love the sinner, or love the sinner and hate the sin, or, or I'm probably saying that backwards. Um, wait a minute, God hates the strife spreader. That's the person. And he hates the, uh, the false witness. That's the person who utters lies. That's what he does, yes. But he hates the strife spreader, the one who spreads strife among brothers the false witness who utters lies. And so we'll take uh, a look at each of those. Understand, first of all, yes. And, and here's subpoint A, and we may spend the whole hour just on this one slide. I don't know how long it's going to take us. Understand, yes. Subpoint A, Yahweh loves. Of course Yahweh loves. God is love. It doesn't take much to prove that Yahweh loves. And yet, in... Uh, Here's a handful of verses here for the love of Yahweh. Yahweh loves and hates in his non-contradictory perfection. Okay, and that's the point. Yahweh loves and hates eternally, simultaneously, absolutely, perfectly, infinitely in his non-contradictory perfection. Non contradictory. So if you have a mindset right here, right now, if you have a mindset that love and hate are either or, get rid of that. All right? Absolutely. Get rid of that right here, right now. Don't wait till the end of class. Don't go home. Get rid of it now. (laughs) Love and hate can be simultaneously expressed. In fact, they must be simultaneously expressed depending upon the object in the context and the realm of of where the thinking is going. Okay, And that will become clear. Because crafty fellow that I am, some of those verses that you see on the slide are both love and hate verses at the same time. As we're going to see. Okay, In his non-contradictory perfection. And God himself resolves these things in his perfection, in his absolute existence, in his holiness, you understand. Sometimes we in our, in our finite understanding will struggle 
For, for example, we struggle with sovereignty and volition. We struggle with, well, how can he be absolutely sovereign and still permit creatures to exercise volitional choice? Well, if we have a hang-up with that, God certainly doesn't because he designed it that way. <laughs> okay? He, uh, he designed angels and humans to have volitional capacity and evidently put that into place without feeling threatened at all to the least bit in his own sovereignty. All right? He has a handle on that, although we struggle with it on occasion. Same thing with love and hate. All right? We may struggle with that on occasion to say, how can they be applied simultaneously? But let me tell you, I think the better we get a handle on it, then we ourselves will have the appropriate applications. Okay? That's why I said uh, last week, we're going to have some hate lessons today. We're going to learn how to hate, but we're going to learn how to hate biblically. And none of us needs any help learning how to hate carnally. <laughs> we all can hate carnally from the time we're born. You know, A two-year-old can hate carnally. All it requires is a sin nature, and we all have that. But learning how to hate biblically, sancti- in a sanctified hate application. And the, the biggest clue is, is David. Um, after we get done looking at the uh, uses of the verb sane, where uh, the Lord, or, or either Yahweh or Elohim, or any of the names for God, when God himself is the subject of the verb, that's significant. But there are many places in, in the book of Psalms where David is the subject of the verb. David does an awful lot of hating in the Bible. And I think the reason for that, probably more than any other human in the Bible, is David. And why is that? Because David's the only man in the Bible that's called a man after God's own heart. And I believe that David had the capacity to apply the love facet of hate, and I think that's what I'm going to settle on calling it, or the hate facet of love, okay? Uh, either way, it is a, it is, hate is a love application. If you, if you love the truth, the, the corollary to that is that you hate the lie. If you love Jesus Christ, you will hate everything that denigrates Jesus Christ. And that's how the Father hates, in His love for Jesus Christ, in His love for God the Son, in His love for the world, see, that He gave His only begotten Son. And I hope that we're going to have a better handle on this as we see these verses. So let's take a look at some of these. So subpoint A, again, Yahweh loves and hates in his non-contradictory perfection. And a string of verses for love, and a string of verses for hate, and I think by the time we're through with those, we will hopefully have a good understanding of of what we're dealing with here. Because he loves and hates in his non-contradictory perfection. We want to do the same thing. We absolutely want to do the same thing. Because we have no shortage of targets Okay, of appropriate love, including our enemies, but also appropriate hate. And I think that's um, not often thought about, and I don't know that I've ever taught it, actually, in uh, 4,948 lessons. All right, so it's a good time to get started. Psalm 11.7. Psalm 11.7. At least I don't recall ever teaching how to hate, but here it is. We probably did in uh, the life of Christ at one point. Psalm 11 and verse 7. And it's not hard. We can, we can prove the love of God. And that's easy enough. God is love. We can go to 1 John. We can see a lot of texts that talk about God as love. But keeping it in the Old Testament, keeping it in the Hebrew, okay, with Yahweh as the subject... And even in these statements of love, we're left with larger questions that we want to stop and say, well, wait a minute, is there, is there more to the story here? 
So here's Psalm 11, a Psalm of David, and uh, it's only seven verses long. I won't read the whole thing, but notice what it says there. Um, well, verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of man. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. Okay, so humanity is broken down into different classifications. The one, and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Okay, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. That's, that's a verse we should consider over on the hatred side of things. Interestingly enough, I left it off of my hate list. That's okay. We can look at it here. The one who loves violence, his soul hates. So there's God's hatred. And, and again, it's his soul, nefesho, right? Nefesh with the uh, uh, suffix there indicating his, his soul. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. Well, that doesn't sound like the God of love. <laughs> okay, And this is why, if we don't get a handle on this, then we're going to fall for the lies that are out there that paint some kind of a, a blasphemous story that the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. That the God of the Old Testament is this God of anger and wrath and hatred and that uh, you know Jesus teaches us to, uh, to uh, turn the other cheek and love our enemies as if they're different gods or, or a schizophrenic God of some sort. No. He loves and hates in the perfection of His holiness. Keep this in mind. So we have the holy temple in this context. And He is testing the righteous and the wicked. And uh, the object of His hatred here in verse 5 has a misdirected love. The one who loves violence. We're going to see some of these themes uh, repeated in, in the upcoming verses. Alright, so fire and brimstone uh, Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone, and the burning wind will be the portion of their cup. Four, here's the explanation, verse 7. Yahweh is righteous. He loves righteousness. And in all the applications, so clearly Yahweh does love, but what does Yahweh love? Okay, what does Yahweh love? And then you get all of these God-hating Bible deniers, and they, and they want to they try to prove their point by using the Bible they hate and, uh, and say, well, come on, you know, don't be so judgmental against this sin or this sin or this sin, and you know, the list is endless. Um, because come on, God is love. God loves everybody. And that's their, that's their uh, default. Uh, that's, that's basically the, the only point of argumentation they have, if you want to call it logic, that they employ. Well, okay, I accept that. God is love. Yes, God loves righteousness. Okay, as we see here, the upright will behold his face. Yes, God loves. Proverbs 3.12, sure God loves. And the one whom uh, the Lord loves, he reproves. <laughs> How about that? Proverbs 3.12, of course God loves. But in his love, he doesn't make excuses for sinful activity. In his love, he doesn't just say, oh, well, that's okay. You can pursue this self-destructive lifestyle. He loves and he reproves. The one whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And so if I'm going to love somebody, I'm not going to tell them that what they're doing is right. If I love them, I'm going to tell them what they're doing is wrong, and I'm going to pray for them daily to get out of that self-destructive lifestyle. 
And so we see it there, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Hebrews, I think, makes it clear. What son is there that the father does not correct? It's the, father that, it's the son that the father does not love, the son that the father does not acknowledge. The bastard, the father says, no, you're not mine. That's, that's uh, the son whom the father does not discipline. Proverbs 15.9, more love from Yahweh. Proverbs 15.9. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. Okay? Well, come on, he loves everybody. Well, this verse says, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. Okay? And we see that these are not mutually exclusive. They are connected. The abomination and the love. They're applied in rightly dividing, they're, they're, uh, the expression of that love and the expression of that hate are directed appropriately towards the wicked, towards the uh, one pursuing righteousness. All right? I don't view that as contradictory at all. So there's the God of love. Okay? Yeah. Next time somebody says, oh, come on, God loves everybody. Here's some verses for you. Say, I agree with you. God loves everybody. That's why the things that are an abomination to him become the objects of his wrath. Uh, Isaiah 61.8. Here's a good one from Isaiah that we've got coming up on Sunday mornings. I think we're going to hit Isaiah 61 sometime around the end of the year, the first part of January. Isaiah 61.8. sticky pages this morning there we go here's love and hate in the same verse and sure enough i got isaiah 61 8 on both uh slides there okay for i the lord love justice i hate robbery in the burnt offering and i will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them notice there's love there's hate in the same context and he is faithful either way he is faithful either way you know we talk about how faithful god is when he's blessing us he's just as faithful when he's disciplining us he is no less faithful in the in the recitation of the blessings and the cursings for the nation of israel if they if they were obedient to the mosaic law god was blessing them if they were defiant to mosaic law he was cursing them but god was faithful both ways he is faithful to his promises he's faithful to his covenants and uh, we can appreciate that, I think, and we can see it there. Jeremiah 31.3. More love from Yahweh here. Jeremiah 31.3. Does his love have any limits? Of course not. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore... <laughs> I don't tolerate what you're doing. I wasn't content to leave you where you were. Therefore, I have drawn you with chesed, with loving kindness. I will, again, I will build you and you will be uh, rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. There's the verse I was trying to find the other day when he uh, restores her virginity. You know, and in human, humanity can't do this. <laughs> you lose, there's only once that you lose your virginity and then that's it. But uh, 
the harlot, the faithless harlot wife of Yahweh, that he issues a certificate of divorce. And here he once again calls her the virgin of Israel, promising the millennial blessings of what they have to look forward to. Okay? I should have known it was there. Jeremiah 31. That's the New Covenant chapter. All right? Hosea 11 and verse 1. Hosea 11 and verse 1. You want to talk about love? How do you fathom the love of God without incorporating the love of the Father for Jesus Christ? When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Is he talking about Israel as a nation, or is he talking about Jesus Christ? Okay, we get to the Gospel of Matthew, we find out this actually is a prophecy. Uh, Isaiah, uh, Hosea 11, he's talking historically about redeeming the nation of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt. Nevertheless, we have built within this a prophecy related to Jesus Christ himself. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Incense to idols. You know, you see the love of God and you see the faithlessness of Israel and you see his patience. So much love in this chapter. He said, uh, verse 3, It is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. So much of what God does in love and we're oblivious to it. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love. See, I don't think uh, this world has the slightest clue what the love of God even is. Finally then, Malachi 1, 2. Malachi 1 and verse 2. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? <laughs> Isn't that fickle? Isn't that human? God says he loves you and we say, no, you don't. How? Prove it. Doesn't seem like it to me. Boy, if you love me, I would, you know. And we have all these human relative understanding ideas, concepts of what it means. Was it not Esau? Uh, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Look at this tandem, love and hate. I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. You see, it's only on a relative basis that humanity comes along and says, well, you don't love me. And we do that when God's not letting us express our carnality. <laughs> when we're not getting away with what we want to do, all right? The funniest story my dad ever tells about his mom was um, when she would spank him for his disobedience, and, and then he'd say, well, you don't love me. <laughs> and, and his mother would say, how dare you say I don't love you? Let me show you how much I love you, and spank him even more. Keep spanking him till he understood how much she loved him. All right? If, if, uh, if you deny the love of God because he's not letting you go the way of Esau, <laughs> as in the case here with Jacob and Esau, um, then, then you don't understand what this love even is. You need to be reoriented to God's character, his nature, his integrity. 
understand the, the nature of this love. And it gets more explicit in the New Testament, of course, when we start to delineate between agape and phileo, when we start to see the agape applications as having no connection whatsoever with the merit of the object. That it's all about the character of the giver, the character of the lover, the integrity of the soul of the one who's loving with the unconditional agape love. Okay? It gets very vivid in the New Testament at that point when we're able to break down the vocabulary there. Not always as clear with, with ahav or the, uh, the Hebrew love expressions. All right? Yes, Yahweh loves. And if you want more, you can find more on your own, I suppose. Uh, there's our verses for Yahweh and His love. Again, it's Psalm 11.7, Proverbs 3.12 and 15.9, Isaiah 61.8, Jeremiah 31.3, Hosea 11.1, Malachi 1.2. And in virtually every one of those passages that we saw, there was something in those verses that told us, wait a minute, (laughs) the expression of that love seems to be connected with something else in his own integrity, in his own character, in his own truth, in his own righteousness. And, and it seems to be, in almost every one of those passages we looked at, the application of his love had the potential for an application of hatred as well, directed towards a different object, or directed towards a different course. And it seemed to be that the, the distinction was the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked, like we have here in, in Proverbs so many times. All right. Yahweh loves and Yahweh hates. Here's our verses for Yahweh hating, starting with Deuteronomy 12:31, Deuteronomy 16:22, Proverbs as our text today, 6:16, Isaiah 1:14, one of my favorites, Isaiah 61:8, we saw a few minutes a few moments ago, Jeremiah 12:8, Jeremiah 44:4. Hosea 9.15, Amos 5.21, Amos 6.8, Zechariah 8.17, Malachi 1.3 and 2.16. That's the I hate divorce passage there in Malachi 2.16. There's a lot of objects of God's hate, of Yahweh's hate. All right, is that overkill? That's a lot of verses. And notice, it's a broad spectrum of prophets, okay? So it's not just like, oh, well, you know, uh, Solomon... What did he know anyway about love and hate? He was, he was carnal half the time. No, wait a minute. Don't confuse Proverbs with Ecclesiastes. <laughs> okay? Yes. The book that, that Solomon wrote in his human viewpoint carnality was Ecclesiastes, not, Solomon, not uh, Proverbs. And besides, uh, in these first nine chapters of Proverbs anyway, we're talking about the wisdom that David and Bathsheba passed on to, uh, to Solomon. So in any event. Yes, Yahweh hates. So, Deuteronomy 12 and verse 31. Let's see if these verses start to make some sense to us now. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 12. And uh, this is towards the effect, this is the end of the chapter, and there's a whole lot of context related to this as the exodus generation has departed and now the wilderness generation is getting ready to enter into the land and Moses is reviewing the principles that uh, their parents had ignored <laughs> okay and now they have to pay heed and uh, as they go into the land they're going to have to be a holy people and be separate from the uh, people there all right Verse 28 says, be careful to listen to all these words which I command you so that it may be well with you and your sons after you forever. It may be well with you. 
Okay, so here's a verse that goes to that horrible question I hate. How are you? Okay, well, what do you mean? How am I? Physically? Emotionally? What, what are you talking about? Financially? You know, what, if you want to, what, are you, what are we talking about here? Um, how is it with our nation? Is our nation well off? Well, by God's definition, wellness is our orientation to the Word of God. Okay, wellness is paying attention to these words which I command you. There's wellness in your health and your finances and your love life and, and your other circumstances and whatever else people think about when they talk about how they are is, uh, is irrelevant. Are you in the Word of God? All right, it's probably safer just to say fine and be done with it and you've completed the, the how are you ritual. Um, but it bugs me because I think it's a lie. I just, you know, people say, well, how are you? Fine. Okay. And they're happy. I'm happy. We move on. But I just lied to them. They don't want an honest answer anyway. So what's the point? Uh, where am I? I'm, okay. I'm in verse 28. Uh, be careful. Listen to these words. Now, um, it may be well with you and your sons after you forever. You will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord, your God. When the Lord, your God cuts off before you, the nation's uh, which you are going to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land. He is removing them from human history. He is giving this territory to, to Israel, and that is his sovereignty to do. God is the one that appoints the appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Beware that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed before you, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods that I may do likewise? All right, those gods are gone. The demons and fallen angels that, uh, that they worship, that's over and done with. You will be holy. Verse 31 says, You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God for every abominable act. All right, and there's a term that we connect to the abominations. All right, every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. You know, when I think about the abomination of child sacrifice and the, the abomination that our land has inflicted upon the, the very soil as the uh, shedding of innocent blood defiles a land. No wonder we're under the judgment that we're under. All right. So whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away from it. But there it is. There's a hate application. Abominable act which the Lord hates. And when people are involved in doing that, who are they serving? They're serving the idols. They're serving the demons. They're serving the false gods. They have done so for their gods. For their gods. Keep that in mind. Because our God is a jealous God. Maybe when we're done teaching how to be biblically hate, hateful, we can also teach how to be biblically jealous because God is jealous. His name is jealous. Okay, so there's Deuteronomy 12, 31. Still in Deuteronomy, we've got chapter 16 and verse 22. Deuteronomy 16 and verse 22. Don't want to spend, spend too much time in Deuteronomy 12 or I'll start to tremble for my nation. If a nation reaches a point where the abominations... Um, become so hateful to the Lord, does the land vomit us up? Yes, it does. Will God remove us from human history and give our land to a, another people, to another nation? He very well may. That's his prerogative to do. And I wouldn't blame him. I'd have done it a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, if I was God, goodness. 
All right. Chapter 16 now of Deuteronomy, verse 22. Again, it's the end of the chapter. Verse 21 says, You shall not plant for yourself an asherah of any kind of tree uh, beside the altar of the Lord your God, which you shall make for yourself. You shall not set up for yourself a sacred pillar, which the Lord your God hates. And this gets into the fertility cults and the religion of the Canaanites and the, the practices there. Amazingly enough, um, <laughs> well, I'll let that go for now. But it's, it's common. It's common in our day and age. It's common in our culture. Uh, maybe not as explicitly as, uh, well, are we still setting up totem poles in different places? Anyway, there's the sacred pillar, which the Lord your God hates. More hatred from Yahweh. Proverbs 6.16 is our passage today. Six things that Yahweh hates, seven that are an abomination to his soul. Isaiah 1.14, more hatred. Isaiah 1.14. He's talking to Israel here. And he calls them Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 10. Here's Yahweh name-calling. And Sharon doesn't like this. <laughs> you know, we, we teach our children, don't name-call. Name-calling is wrong. Um, and it is, you know, for children as they're growing up, siblings, uh, name-calling is, is not acceptable. But here's God doing it. And it makes a point. Instead of calling them Jerusalem, he calls them Sodom. Do you think that is designed to get their attention? I call it an attention-getter. So hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Okay? That's an, that's an attention-getter. Why is God calling you that? Okay? What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? They were very religious. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Well, wait a minute. I thought he commanded all that in the law. Aren't they, aren't they offering the sacrifices that he told them to offer? Why does it say now that he's sick of it? Why does it say that he, he's had enough of it? He takes no pleasure in it. You know, we would say, I have, I've had it up to here, you know. He says, when you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? You're supposed to cleanse yourself at the laver. You're supposed to, you're approaching holy ground and, and you're just trampling his courts. Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Remember we talked about worthlessness in terms of Belial? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon, Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. So here's the thing. When you use religion to cloak your iniquity, God sees through that. You can't just have an external legalism and, and your heart be as wicked as, as the night. God's going to see through that. And some people think, hey, they can, they can, if they're just outwardly moral churchgoers, then that counts for something. And that covers up what they're doing Monday through Saturday. God says he hates it. It's an abomination to him. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. Add this to your list of things that God cannot do. God cannot do, okay? That's why it was required for humanity to be redeemed or he couldn't bring anybody to himself. He has to satisfy his righteousness in order to express his love. 
I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. He's just, so earlier he said he was sick. Now he says he's tired, (laughs) right? He's sick and tired. He says in verse 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. It doesn't say that he can't hear. It says that he's choosing not to. I will not listen. If you are carnal, he's not going to listen to anything you pray, not one thing, until you confess. That's the only thing he's waiting to hear is your confession. Even though you multiply prayers, you can pray all day, all night, for a week on end. If you are carnal, he's not hearing any of that. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. The only thing he's waiting for is confession. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. He's waiting for confession. And until you confess, he's not listening to anything you have to pray about. All right, well, there it is. I like Isaiah chapter 1, but verse uh, 14 there is our hate application. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. I don't want Jesus Christ to be sitting at the right hand of the God of the Father looking down at Austin Bible Church saying, I hate what Austin Bible Church is doing. Okay, because we can we can obey all the external commands, and he'll still hate it if our hearts in the wrong place, if we're using our religiosity as a cloak. Uh, we uh, saw sixty one eight earlier. Remember that one? You can read it again. Doesn't hurt anything. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery. In the burnt offering. Notice again, there's a, um, he's rebuking the, the priests here. I hate robbery and the burnt offering. I will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. So we have love and hate in the same context. Jeremiah 12.8. More hate from Yahweh. Jeremiah 12.8. context for this i suppose we can pick up in verse seven notice the chapter begins though in verse one righteous are you O lord and really is that standard of righteousness that really becomes the the dividing line between his love applications and his hate applications and so forth um that ought to be at least clear by now Verse 7 says, I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my inheritance. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. Notice, he doesn't stop loving her even though presently he's applying the hate, uh, the, the, the hate expression in verse 8. Israel remains the beloved of my soul. From verse 7. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has roared against me. Therefore, I have come to hate her. So is this an either or? Is it a contradiction? No, it is a non-contradictory perfection of Yahweh. The non-contradictory perfection of God himself. Israel remains his beloved, the beloved of his soul. But as a consequence of what she has become, I have come to hate her. And the verses there that follow give the explanation for that. All right. 
Uh, Jeremiah 44.4. Another hate application. The word that came to Jeremiah for all the Jews living in the land of Egypt. Some of them thought they could find refuge in Egypt and flee from Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of uh, Jerusalem. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you yourselves have seen all the calamity that I brought on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are in ruins and no one lives in them. And talk about how faithful God is. He's validating now his faithful prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah had to serve with a bunch of false prophets, all these liars saying that uh, Jerusalem was going to be spared. And Jeremiah, the one faithful witness saying, no, we're not. And now uh, he gets to deliver the I told you so message from <laughs> Yahweh Tzavayoth, the Lord God of hosts. It says in verse 3, because of their wickedness which they committed so as to provoke me to anger by continuing to burn sacrifices and to serve other gods whom they had not known, neither they, you, nor your fathers, I sent to you all my servants, the prophets, again and again, saying, do not do this abominable thing which I hate. All right. So again, we have the connection in the abomination vocabulary with the hatred vocabulary in this in this verse, linked here together with Yahweh as the as the uh, hater, the one doing the hating. But they did not listen to or incline their ears to turn from their wickedness, so as to not burn sacrifices to other gods. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and burned in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. Okay. And so anger often becomes the expression of the soul hatred. I don't know why this should be surprising to us. Doesn't the New Testament tell us, be angry and yet do not sin? Let not the sun go down on your anger? Should not be um, surprising to us that we will have our own hate application in the expression of the sanctified anger there. All right, what else? Hosea 9.15. Hosea 9.15, more hate. And in all of these verses, for every person that's uh, the target of God's hate, have you noticed that uh, there seems to be a pretty simple way to to, uh, repent? (laughs) There seems to be a simple mechanism by which they can confess and be cleansed and be restored to fellowship. And and, uh, I find this... uh, almost without exception, that the objects of God's hate uh, aren't forced to uh, be the objects of God's hate. All right. 9.15, Hosea 9.15. All their evil is at Gilgal indeed. I came to hate them there because of the wickedness of their deeds. I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All of their princes are rebels. So describing the northern kingdom there and their faithlessness and his hatred for them. Amos 5.21. Let me get through these before the end of the hour. Amos 5.21. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Okay? What the world tells us today is that, well, you have to love, you have to tolerate, you have to accept. No, we don't. God doesn't. I hate, I reject 
your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. You can offer them, but they're not going anywhere. I'm not accepting them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Same kind of message in Isaiah. All he wants is confession. None of the rest of this. Chapter 6 and verse 8, also in Amos. The Lord God has sworn by himself, the Lord God of hosts has declared, I loathe the arrogance of Jacob I, and detest his citadels. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all it contains. I don't know why they translated that as loathe. It's the same uh, sonne that we've been looking at in all these other verses. Why not just leave it as hate? Um, but in any event, there it is. Zechariah 8.17 Let none of you devise evil in your heart against another, and do not love perjury, for all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. More hatred. Malachi 1.3, we already saw in connection with Malachi 1.2, with both love and hate, used back to back there. Malachi 2.16 is the I hate divorce passage that I like to include in all my wedding services. Dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Take heed then to your spirit. Let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. See, who are you hurting when you, when you are treacherous? You're actually damaging your spirit, damaging your soul. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So many of these sins um, are, dist- are soul destructive. We talked about that with the fornication sins in previous classes. All right, Yahweh loves and hates in his non-contradictory perspe- uh, per- perfection. So what do we do with all these verses? We've got a long list. We've got a dozen verses over here about the love of God. We've got a dozen verses over here about the uh, uh, God hating. So what do we do? Well... Let's just, um, let's just accept the ones we like, the loved ones, and let's just pretend those other ones aren't there. <laughs> All right? Let's just, uh, come on, uh, I don't like those. Let's, let's stick with this love stuff, and let's just ignore those others, other... No, careful, okay? We're not free to do that. We already saw the passages today. We can't add to the Word of God. We can't take away from the Word of God. We have to be careful to do all that is commanded for us to do that it may be well with us in the land in our day and age, okay? Now, um, we saw the connections between uh, hatred and abomination, and so next week when we come back, we're going to remind ourselves what this abomination is. Abomination is a revulsion, a compelling impulse to drive something far from one's presence. An abomination is a revulsion. It is is an, an actual stimulus to the soul and uh, as it is observed as it is perceived as it is uh, identified by the soul of righteousness by god's soul of holiness and soul of love 
the abomination and the revulsion of that abomination is what then motivates or, or uh, launches the application of hate. And uh, we've already seen several of the passages then that linked abominable actions with uh, the hatred of God. So we'll have to uh, remind ourselves of the Tokneva. Won't spend a lot of time on it because we did uh, already back in chapter 3. Uh, abomination was first used in Proverbs 3.32 where it was featured in a series of fundamental contrasts. And so we'll use uh, the first part of next week to kind of freshen up our, our thinking on the abominations, the Tokneva. And uh, clearly there's another study we can go into because there's 112 uses there in the Old Testament. Leviticus and Proverbs would be where we'll uh, spend the bulk of our attention. But abomination is a revulsion, a compelling impulse. And this is, see, this is, um, again, what bugs me so much of our culture and what they're telling me that I have to embrace, what I have to accept. Uh, they've redefined even the word tolerance itself as not just simply put up with it. You know, I mean, if, if they could leave it as put up with it, okay, I can put up with a lot. But they don't want me to just put up with it. They want me to accept it, to embrace it, to normalize it, to celebrate it. And I'm not going to celebrate perversity. All right? Well, we'll come back to this next week. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your holiness. I pray that we might come to understand you better through studying your love and your hate. We might come to appreciate your character and, and observe the imperatives that we have for ourselves. Father, we're to have the attitude in us which was also in Christ Jesus. We, if in anything we have a different attitude, you yourself are going to show that to us also. Father, if our thinking is not molded after your thinking, then our thinking is wrong. Uh, your word commands us to be, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and not to be conformed to this age. So, Father, as we uh, become uh, more aware of these principles, I ask, Father, that you would open the eyes of our understanding and you would spotlight um, circumstances and details, people and places and things, uh, the different applications whereby we too must apply the love and hate expressions that you express yourself. Without sin, without carnality, we can't, uh, we can't be carnal haters any more than we can be uh, carnally angry, Father. We must, as Ephesians says, be angry yet do not sin. Let not the sun go down on your anger. Likewise, Father, we want to be hateful in the non-carnal ways, as we love your Son, as we love your Word, as we love your righteousness, as we love your truth, as we love your plan, and as we hate every wicked way. So, Father, uh, bless this study. Thank you for today's class and a good start on the material. I pray that we will come to understand uh, the objects of your hatred, uh, the six and the seven, and uh, why it's those and, and none of the others. And and uh, just continue to bless this time of study. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen.